Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here and happy you're listening. I haven't spoken much about Sam Bankman-Fried and this FTX scandal, mainly because I'm just really surprised people fell for it. Um, The whole crypto thing has really been interesting because, you know, Bitcoin comes out and I'm not an expert on Bitcoin by any stretch, but Bitcoin is unique. Okay. All these other coins one of, the, one of the things I saw is that, I mean, I knew enough about Bitcoin to know that it was very unique in the marketplace. There, there's absolutely no way for anybody to hack it, to steal it from you, or anything like that, unless you give it to a third party. And one of the third parties that um, can and has stolen Bitcoin are exchanges. Uh, years ago, there was a company called Mt. Gox that uh, held people's Bitcoin. And it was a famous blow up. Uh, they supposedly lost all the Bitcoin. Somehow they got hacked. or I don't even remember what the deal was. But it's kind of like the bank. I mean, I've talked to you about the banking system before. And I think before the end of my life, we are going to see Uh, what I'm about to describe to you in our banking system. Anytime you turn, there's a saying, let me back up. There's a saying in the financial world that if you don't physically have gold, then you don't own it. Okay. So there are some people, for example, that own GLD in the market and they think they own gold. Or let's say they, they own gold. They think they own gold or they own gold certificates and some bank is holding the gold in an account for them. Well, it's a little bit dicey. You might not actually own the gold. Um, if the government shows up and confiscates it, for example, the bank will comply and turn the gold over and compensate you in, uh, in dollars or whatever your currency. Uh, just like what happened in 1933 when uh, Roosevelt closed all the banks and confiscated everybody's gold. I mean, they went to safe deposit boxes with people that whose names were on the safe deposit box with the police and confiscated gold from Americans. That actually happened. So, so that, that saying is, if you don't physically have it in your possession, then, then you don't own it. And Bitcoin is very much uh, of that spirit. Uh, if you if you host your Bitcoin on Coinbase or some exchange, you don't actually you don't actually have the Bitcoin. It could be stolen. It could be hacked. Uh, the company could send you a Dear John letter saying all the Bitcoin was stolen. We don't know who stole it. Um, Bitcoin is one of these things where it's like gold. If you don't if you don't actually possess your key then you really don't have uh, the Bitcoin. And all these other things that have come up, like Ethereum and uh, some of these other Litecoin and some of these other coins, they're all gimmicks. They're all like, 
rights to own some coin or something. Um, uh, FTX was involved in something called non-fungible tokens. So they had a token that you could, that, that would somehow grow in value that you could use as, as credit on their platform to trade. Um, but it, it, I mean, you couldn't spend it anywhere. Nobody would give you anything for it, but somehow they, it had a market value. And of course, Bitcoin, I mean, of course, uh, FTX was borrowing against these uh, uh, NFTs and um, they were borrowing their customers' money and then trading somewhere else on their customer accounts. And I mean, just all kinds of crazy stuff. But they didn't actually have any Bitcoin. Um, you could trade Bitcoin there, but it would, you could trade Bitcoin there just like you could trade it on Schwab or E-Trade or TD Ameritrade, some, something like that. But the Sam Bankman-Fried, somehow he snowed all these people into, um, you know, into falling for his success, the success of his company. And we're going to play this clip from Tucker Carlson and I think part of it was just his demeanor. You know, he, you know, Carlson calls him a pudgy little kid with messy hair and slept in bean bags. You know, th this whole persona, this, yeah, I drive around in a Prius and I don't even care about money. And, you know, it was this kind of thing. I, I think uh, this lures people into people into uh, thinking people like Sam Bankman Freed or something other than they are, you know, which is basically, you know, a Ponzi scheme guy or, a, you know, some sort of snake oil salesman. So I want to just talk a little bit about Bankman Freed today and, and, um, and kind of tie it back to uh, the markets as we see them today, because I really think this, this whole FTX thing, you know, there, there's a, there are people involved in the financial markets that, that uh, believe, for example, that, um, you know, uh, you, can, you can put some hot shot on the cover of Time magazine and that's like a, that's like a bell ringing at the top of the market. Well, I think, I think Bankman Freed is, is that bell. I think, I think this blow up in FTX, even though the market's not at a top, I think it's going to signal the end of this craziness, the, the, the crazy run up and then collapse in these so-called cryptos, um, in, in these non-fungible, uh, tokens in these, uh, SPACs, what they call SPACs, which are special acquisition companies. I mean, it's the everything bubble basically. And a lot of it is just very speculative and snake oil type, you know, stuff. And I think, you know, Bankman Freed is, is like the bell ringing at the top of all that. So I want to go ahead and play it here because I think we're very close. Uh, I follow the markets pretty closely. And let me just, full disclosure, I, I cannot predict the market, okay? Nobody can really predict the market. But it seems very, very toppy here. The volatility is kind of, what's, what's interesting is volatility is the change from high to low. Uh, in, in the S&P 500 on a daily basis. And what's interesting is there's something called the VIX that tracks volatility. But the volatility, the actual movement 
in the uh, SPX has been pretty substantial from high to low, but the actual volatility, the VIX, is remained very low. And I think this is a this is a signal of some underlying impending doom that we're fixing to that's fixing to befall uh, U.S. investors, uh, probably global investors. Um, but again, just to be clear, I can't predict the markets, but it just feels very toppy, very uh, collapse-ish to me, if that's such a word. And I think we're going to end up looking back at this Sam Bankman-Fried uh, debacle with FTX, and we're going to we're going to we're going to say to ourselves that marked the beginning of the end of this huge bull market that we've basically had since 1974. So that's a big trend. Uh, just to be clear, uh, we basically had a largely un un uninterrupted run up to unprecedented highs in the in the uh, U.S. financial markets. Uh, since 1974. So um, with that, let's, with that in mind, let's play this um, Tucker clip and it's a little bit tongue in cheek fun. He kind of calls the guy some names and things like that. But um, I, I think it's uh, interesting. He also plays a CNBC montage in there that will uh, get a chuckle out because these people fawned all over this guy, man. I mean, they treated him like he was some sort of God in the financial markets. Bankman-Fried was this weird pudgy kid in a t-shirt who played video games during interviews, took a ton of pills, and could never quite explain the business model of his, quote, crypto exchange. <laughs> I mean, literally, from the first day, this guy was an utterly transparent scam artist. Your golden retriever could have smelled the fraud on this guy. It was that redolent. He stunk of it. Yeah, I've seen so many of these things come and go that I can, I can pretty much pinpoint on myself. In fact, my son brought up one time, he said, Hey, what do you know about NFTs? And I said, well, <laughs> you know, not that much, but a non-fungible token just sounds like a made up thing to me. And, um, I mean, I don't even know why you would use the word fungible in any kind of financial instrument. I mean, that's, that's weird in and of itself. You'll, a lot of times you'll hear people say cash is fungible, right? So if you give, let's say, don donate money to Black Lives Matter, and then Black Lives Matter spends that money on all kinds of things that you don't really approve of, well, there's nothing you can do about that, right? Because money is fungible. They can take money into one account and dole it out into other accounts, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so that's when you use the word fungible is that it's basically liquid. Think it's like water, right? It, it comes into an account and it can seep into other accounts. And yeah, you can track it all down, but there's no way you can really control. Once you turn money over to somebody, there's no way you can really control what they do with it. So um, that's how it's normally used. And so I was like, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't sound all that interesting to me. It, I mean, now don't get me wrong. You could have bought like an NFT. You could have bought NFTs for like 10 cents and wrote it up to a hundred bucks. And if you sold at a hundred, you would have made a fortune, right? But that's the way all these things are. You don't, there's, there's some people that are involved in these things and they do end up making a fortune, 
but the vast majority of people end up buying somewhere along the way. They think it's going to be some deal. They hold and they ride it all the way back down to zero. That's what happens to most of the people that are involved in that. And, and to me, this is just another one of those things. And I've seen, I've seen this happen over and over and over and over again over my years in uh, just keeping track and watching financial markets. But I think it's funny how Tucker describes the guy, pudgy little kid who takes way too many pills and sometimes sleeps in a beanbag. I just think that's hilarious. But, um, and you look at the guy and you think, I mean, he doesn't look all that special to me. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't, um, he's, he's not easily flustered. I'll give him that. I mean, he's, I don't know if that's confidence or arrogance or what, but I've seen him pressed, uh, in the, in the media and he's not, easily flustered. So, uh, he's, he's well-schooled in aggressive media. I would say that about him, but, uh, his, his, uh, firm FTX was a complete flop and a bunch of really, really rich, uh, quote unquote savvy people, you know, Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank got caught up in this and lost a bunch of money. You know, some really savvy investors put money with this guy and lost their shirts. But somehow the geniuses, the financial wizards at CNBC had no idea. They fell in love with Sam Bankman-Fried. They wanted to be Sam Bankman-Fried. They told us Sam Bankman-Fried was the new JP Morgan. Here's a tape we're going to watch at least once a month for the rest of our lives. It's that good. They call him the JP Morgan of crypto, right? Yeah, the Michael Jordan of crypto, if you will. <laughs> so why should you care about a floppy-haired, vegan, fidget-spinning crypto billionaire who occasionally sleeps on a beanbag chair? During the so-called crypto winter, the 30-year-old CEO has been referred to as crypto's white knight. JP Morgan of this generation, Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX. Is he the Jay Gould of our era or is he the JP Morgan of our era? I think it's yet to be determined. Yet to be determined. Is he, the, is he Vanderbilt? He could be. Is he Harriman? Possibly. Is he the Credit Mobile scandal? Is he Carnegie? These people that they're comparing him to are people that created real businesses with real assets that changed the world. I mean, Carnegie, you know, the steel magnet. I mean, he changed the world. Um, Vanderbilt basically built the railroad industry. I mean, these people changed America in ways. I mean, I can't even believe they're trying to compare him to those people. Um, you know, Carnegie, Vanderbilt, J.P. Morgan. Now, not so much J.P. Morgan, but these people were basically the purveyors of capitalism. I mean, they were the ones that first put it into action and, you know, delivered a standard of living to the, to the world, really, that, you know, no other country had really ever seen. And, and I just think it's ridiculous that they talk about this guy the what that way and you know that just kind of brings up another point you know real wealth is created when um you know when 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 something you know enters the marketplace a service or a product that people are willing to buy and you know there, there's not funny banking involved and there's not 
weird leverage and all this. It's just a business. It's just a business made up of a bunch of transactions. You know, we make X number of these things and people buy Y number of them, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but it just goes to show you that how, how out of touch people are with what wealth creation is really all about. People think that wealth creation is, is about money, the accumulation of money. And in an, in an environment where money can just be printed up like it is by our government, the, trust me when I tell you, the accumulation of money doesn't mean anything. Um, uh, what, what matters is your, is, is your cash flow. Do you, have, do you have a business or a job that's cash flowing a certain amount of money that, that maintains a lifestyle? That's really what's key. Because if you have a, look, I'm just telling you right now, if you've got uh, like a million dollar or $2 million or $5 million 401k or something, just know that that could be cut in half or more pretty easily in the market. Really before you, in between statements for you. Like you could look at it one month and go, wow, I got $5 million. And then the next time you get a statement, it could be $1 million. I mean, that's how fast it can evaporate in the, in the financial markets. So don't, don't kid yourself and think you've got something you don't have. Uh, you need to exercise risk management. Um, you need to take some of that money maybe and put it in something that actually earns real cash flow that has customers. Uh, and don't just rely on, uh, the financial markets unless you are very nimble and you know what you're doing. Cause, um, a lot of people don't think that we could have another 1929, but I'm here to tell you it is very, very possible. When, when you have this amount of money creation and asset prices as high as they are in our economy, you could easily, that could easily roll back 75%, very easily. Now, most people go, oh, that could never happen. But look, I'm just telling you, it can happen. And you have to be very, very careful you need to watch over your your nest egg, it, it, you know, very carefully, because trust me, there's not going to be anybody you can go to when that thing evaporates. That wasn't ten years ago. That was weeks, days before the Sam Bankman-Fried fraud collapsed in on itself. Is he Vanderbilt? Is he Harriman? Is he Carnegie? Is he J.P. freaking Morgan? <laughs> no, no, he's not. Actually, he's an accused felon who just this week was photographed shuffling along in handcuffs on his way to his cell. It's just so awesome. These people are ridiculous. And that's the real lesson of Sam Bankman-Fried. And we're going to enjoy every second of it. Yeah, I agree with Tucker. I mean, elevating this guy at 30 years old. Look, at 30 years old, you don't know anything. Okay, you just don't. And certainly not enough to be running a multi-billion dollar company with people's life savings in it, promising them something. I don't know what he promised. Maybe he didn't promise anything, but, uh, you know, when people see things going up, they, they have that whole fear of missing out. Right. And they want to get on board. Um, because everybody knows you, you buy low and sell high, right? The problem is nobody ever sells high. Your average you know, novice investor, worker bee, you know, with a 401k never sells 
Or if they do, they sell at the bottom because they just can't take the pain any longer. And so, you know, what's the lesson here? I, you know, I mean, we, these lessons have been taught to us over and over and over again. And the problem is when you have a, such a high degree bull market, like we have, you know, a trend earlier, I said 1974, but, but really the entire trend goes all the way back to, uh, uh, 1929 and even further than that um, the the super grand degree trend goes all the way back to like 1787 so you know you've got you've got uh, a lot of of asset buildup and more importantly you have you have a, a price discovery mechanism that's broken I mean you've got government interference on a scale that we've never seen in the United States of America but, you know, when the market rolls over and starts to collapse, that won't be the story. The story will be, you know, some something happened in China and it it metastasized into something in the U.S. But let, let me just let me just give you, you know, spoiler alert here. When 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 the government of the United States creates 40 percent of all the money that was ever created between 2020 and 2021, or 2019 and 2021, that is a huge intervention into the market. And it creates distortions uh, in, in, in price discovery that, that no one person can really even understand because the market is so complicated. There's so many transactions involved. There's producers and wholesalers and retailers and all these different interests and they're all just kind of scrambling around right now you know scratching their heads trying to figure out what the hell's going on because somebody just dropped a huge pile of money right in the middle of their game and they're trying to sort it all out i mean that's what's happening in the market and anytime you have that kind of uncertainty uh that that happens in the market it, man, it, you know, things tend to kind of stop, you know, people kind of stop and they say, let's see what's going on here before we invest further, before we do this or that. And then, you know, just leads to one thing, which leads to another, which leads to another. And then eventually, you know, you start getting bankruptcies, you start figuring out, oh, you know, these companies were over leveraged and now they're filing bankruptcy and uh, some companies are getting wiped out completely and gobbled up by other companies. It, it just ends up being a disaster. Uh, but it'll get blamed on something else. You can almost count on that. Now, it's a little harder to enjoy what's happening to the rest of the economy, inflation especially. Inflation is one of those economic phenomena you don't need to be an MIT professor to identify. Has the price of things you buy every week gone up a lot? Oh, it has? Okay, you've got inflation. Inflation is demonstrable. Anyone who claims otherwise is lying, and everybody knows that. And that's why even most politicians, people who will lie about anything, don't bother to lie about inflation. It's just too easy to catch them. But some still persist in lying about it. They just enjoy the experience of lying. It makes them feel alive. Janet Yellen is one of those. We've had several months of high inflation that um, most economists, including me, believe will be transitory. I personally believe that um, this represents transitory factors. Are higher prices here to stay? 
I believe it's transitory, but I don't mean to suggest that these pressures will disappear in the next month or two. It is important that we monitor it carefully, but um, I believe fundamentally, you know, that this is something that will uh, settle down. Transitory. <laughs> transitory. These economists um, love to use words that obscure things, you know. Um, transitory, what they're saying is that they're, think of it as like a wave, a wave coming through the economy. And the wave is raising prices temporarily. And of course, or, or think of it like a tsunami. It comes up to shore and then it recedes. That's transitory. The problem is all these people that, that are economists, like Janet Yellen and, and other uh, what, I, what I call monetarists, they're all the same. They, 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 think, uh, they think monetary policy somehow um, controls production, controls employment. I mean, they really assign a lot of power to this monetary policy thing. And really all they're doing, I mean, just so you know, is they're stealing from us, okay? Now, they've concocted this tool called the CPI. Everybody follows it. But I'm going to tell you a little secret. Even if the CPI says zero for 100 years, they're still stealing from you. And the reason that is, is because the government constantly creates credit. And, and by, by creating that credit, they've increased the money supply. And when they increase the money supply, they're stealing from you. Okay? The CPI is only, it, it's, it's just a, uh, it's not even a very scientific way they track it. I won't go into all of that, but just trust me, it's, you know, you can go find Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff has a detailed discussion about the CPI, but, but even if you could measure prices uh, to the degree they say they can, um, what you would find is that, that that's just the symptom of inflation. That's not inflation itself. Inflation is the creation of money and credit in the economy. That's what it is, period. Now, if you had a fixed amount of money and credit in the economy, then what would happen is prices of everything would kind of slowly drift down over time. This is why people could put money in a bank a uh, hundred years ago and, and it wouldn't grow at all. It would just stay there in the bank and uh, when they got ready to take it out, when they retired or whatever, it would buy more in the economy than it did when they put it in and without growing at all. It didn't have to grow in the amount of money that was there. It would just, the, the economy would produce in such a way that everything would get less expensive over time. And so by the time you wanted to take that money out of the bank, the economy would be much more productive and and that that same amount of money that same pile of money would just buy more in the economy that's how people retired um but in the age of you know constantly inflating the money away and stealing from the american people people have had to put their money in stock market they've had to put this is why the stock market goes up so rapidly is because people in in you know in mass have to put vast quantities of money into investments in the hopes that they can retire one day. The money will be worth more than when they put it in. The problem, of course, is there's no free lunch. 
just creating more money uh, doesn't doesn't make you wealthier. It doesn't it doesn't even mean that you can buy more with the money uh, the newly created money in the future than you can buy today. In fact, it probably means you can buy a lot less. So there, there's no free lunch in the economy. There's only trade-offs and there's production, there's consumption, there's savings and investment. Um, but wealth creation is about production. It's not about money. Did you hear that? She's an economist. She's not a scam artist who got rich from bribes disguised as speaking fees from the big banks after she had been running the Fed. No, 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 no. She's an economist. And because she's an economist and you're not, she knows that there are many kinds of inflation. There's conventional inflation, then there's something called transitory inflation. And that's the kind of inflation you're not allowed to complain about, especially before midterm elections. You are commanded to ignore that kind of inflation. And if it still bothers you, then you have to do your patriotic duty and get an abortion. That's the word from Janet Yellen who as of tonight is literally our treasury secretary. Yeah, you know, I'm sure these people will survive the official history of the United States, but I guarantee you there are people that are writing about people like Janet Yellen and Ben Bernanke that are writing about how they destroyed America. And while that may not be the official narrative, that may not be the... uh, the narrative that they're going to teach in classrooms all across the country, there will be people writing that narrative because it's in fact the case. These people have destroyed America. It's just not apparent to everybody yet, but it will be, it will be apparent at some point. Uh, I don't know what that point is. I told you today, there's no way to predict the market. I'm just telling you right now, it looks very risky. I wouldn't be putting any new money into the market. If you're contributing to a 401k, just change any contribution to money market. And, uh, and that way you don't have to worry about it going into stocks that are likely to be a lot cheaper in a few months from now. One of the things that's always important to remember about the market, uh, what, we, what we say is we, it takes the staircase up and it takes the elevator down. And this is why I was talking about earlier where you can open up one statement and man, you're looking like a hero. You're the next, you know, you're the richest guy on your street or whatever. And then you open up the next statement and wow, you just lost 35% of your income. And then the whole psychology thing starts. And that, the way that goes is like, it's like this, wow, my investments are down 25%. Well, this is probably a pullback. I'll, I'll wait till it rallies, you know, 10 or 15% and then I'll get out. And when it does is it rallies 10 or 15% but then you don't get out. Okay. And maybe it goes up another two or three from there. And then it goes down like 40%. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I said, I should have sold. I knew it was going to do this. You know, you're talking like, you know, it was going to happen and you're, and you didn't. And so you're beating yourself to death and you're, I should have done this and I should have done that. And if it can just go back up 20%, I'll sell. And maybe it goes up 20% and you don't sell. And then it gets whacked another 30 or 40 again. And so you you look at your account and you're like 70% down. And and then finally you're just like, that's it. I'm done. I'm selling. And right about then the market rips to the upside 
and you're feeling like an idiot even further, you know. So, you know, how do you how do you deal with this? The best thing to do is not get stuck in the psychology. And I don't know, the easiest way to do it is just pick a spot where you say, you know what, I can't I can't take any more than this because I'm too close to retirement or I'm too this, I'm too that, and I'm just going to I'm just going to sell everything and go to cash and you know, wait and see what happens. And then maybe if it goes down enough, then maybe you, you take half that money, you get back in, you buy really close to quote unquote the bottom. But even picking the bottom is very difficult. Okay. So none of this stuff is easy. You have to watch it like a hawk and you got to be very, very careful who you listen to. I'm not even suggesting you should listen to me. You should just, you should uh, just be very careful with your money. I mean, you worked really hard to save it. Um, you know, you don't want to just see it evaporate, uh, into thin air. So I, I'm just suggesting that you, you be vigilant and don't, you know, don't fall for the cliches, you know, nobody can time the market. And if you're out of the market, you miss the best six days of the year. I mean, they got all kinds of cliches that will, you know, try to convince you not to take action. But sometimes what you need to do is you need to take action. So figure out what that is for you and, and don't be afraid. All right. Well, look, that's about it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, it was a little bit fun, kind of poking fun at Sam Bankman Freed. But uh, this could very well be the bell, you know, at the top, like I was saying. And, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, but the craziness has hit uh, a crescendo in the market for sure. And um, people are talking about it, rifling back up the inside, the upside and, and making all-time new highs and all this stuff. And you know, look, the market just doesn't work that way. There's been a lot of damage done to the market, and it takes a long time to repair that damage. And I'm not even sure the damage is done being dealt. So, you know, be patient, um, be vigilant, and just, you know, be careful. It's your money. It's hard-earned money. Don't let uh, these thieves on Wall Street steal it from you. Uh, because believe me, they will if, they, if you give them the opportunity to do it. All right. Well, look, share the show. Um, write me a review. Do all those things that uh, grow the listenership. And if you come back and listen tomorrow, I'll be here to do it all over again. So Merry Christmas, much lied to American people.